0: The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to the Thursday edition of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across me is the one, the only, the Sasquatch herself, Tammy, the Child Chaser. <laughs>
1: the child chaser. No. Remember I killed that fisherman.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. We read yeah, about that.
1: We read about that one. So, um, today's Thursday.
0: It's Thursday, Thursday, and I'm thirsty for your mom's lovin'.
1: And actually, it's thought-provoking Thursday, and no, I'm trying to figure so out a thirsty. good, effective way to murder you.
0: Why? It's not my fault that your mom is so freaking hot.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: God Dang. And when you were in the hospital, and feeling sick, let's just say your mom's dry spells way over.
1: And I know you're lying.
0: Oh, am I? Yes. <laughs> does it help to know that she has a mole on her left thigh? No, she doesn't. Oh, yes, she does. No, she doesn't. <laughs> Anywho, I put my thumb there, used it as a guide.
1: Oh, shut up! I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> so let's just dig into Mary Ann Cotton.
0: Oh, no. Let's dig back into your mom. No. Okay, go ahead.
1: So, back in 1998, a former FBI agent who was working with the Behavioral Analysis Unit at the time erroneously stated there are no female serial killers.
0: Take a pause right there. I'm looking at the picture that you put into the file. Jesus Christ, she's terrifying.
1: I know. She, God
0: damn. Like sir, I don't get scared that often, but she looks like a combination. She does
1: look evil in that one.
0: My asshole literally puckered up the yeah. second that I God. Yeah. Would dang. you want to marry that one? Ah, you know, I like the highway through the danger zone. You know that, right? Yes. And I like living dangerous. Not that dangerous. Did you
1: just click into the article? I did. Oh, okay, because it did something funny. Because it says thing. Brutal Nation
0: on the top, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it does mean when you guys click in.
1: Okay, so, anyways, apparently he never received the memo because history had already proven that statement to be false. Or maybe he had just never heard of Amelia Dyer, Amy Archer Gilligan, Elizabeth Bathory. Or the subject of today's presentation, Marianne Cotton. Um, His statement would have been more accurate had he said female serial killers aren't motivated in the same way that male serial killers are. They also tend to target members of their own family or people they are supposed to be caring for. Now, in the case of Marianne Cotton, the majority of her victims were members of her family. She killed them for monetary gain And her weapon of choice was poison. Unfortunately, due to the era in which she committed her murders, she does fall into the category of basic bitch.
0: What a basic bitch. Yeah, and I was telling you earlier
1: that she should probably be called basic bitch number one because she's considered the first female serial killer in Great Britain. Oh, sweet.
0: Yeah. it's You know what? Then she doesn't get basic bitch. Let me tell you why. Because if she's the first one. That's a serial killer that was using arsenic. Then,
1: yeah, then she, someone that inv- she's someone that came up with that okay, idea.
0: Okay, no. She, she's, that, that's original. She didn't look at everybody else and go, okay, um, you know what, Donna and Anne and Mary and, and Trudy all use arsenic, so I'm going to use it too. No, she said, you know what, I'm going to kill these motherfuckers with arsenic.
1: Yeah, well, and she might have actually been ingenious because at the time that typhoid fever was oh, very yeah. rampant and... The symptoms of arsenic poisoning mimic that. So it's believed that Mary Ann may have had as many as 21 victims, and I'll list them later. Although she was only convicted of one murder charge. Some have questioned why she wasn't as well-known throughout history as Jack the Ripper. After all, he didn't start committing his murders until well over a decade after Mary Ann swung from the gallows. Now, in fact, her body count was significantly higher. Which, in essence, would make Marianne one of the most horrific murderers in British history.
0: That's what gets me about the whole Jack the Ripper thing. Seriously, like he had a body count of like four, I think five. Four or five, yeah. Yeah, something like that. One of them was horrendous, it, it, it was, but here, man, if you kill four or five people... Yeah, they make you a cop. <laughs> like you can pass the test. I don't want to be a cop. I want to be an engineer. Yeah, well, you pass. Here's your badge, You're a cop.
1: Yeah, and if two fucking a, they'll make you a lieutenant.
0: Yeah, well, they, they 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 don't even they don't even bad night. Like, dude, that's 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 amateur numbers. Get the fuck out of here. Go <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, it's not even a crime yet. And the sixth one though, you get a body bag for free. Yeah. <laughs> Like a punch card. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We got punch cards for everything, from everything from Starbucks to Dutch Brothers Coffee to yeah. Black Star. And then you go, hey, I got my six punch here. It means I mean, to get a free bounty bag. That's good times. That's good right.
1: Times. That's right. So one thing the doctors couldn't deny was the fact that little Charles Cotton was deceased. According to his stepmother, Marianne, the seven-year-old was just another victim of gastric or typhoid fever. However, by that point, the neighbors had started talking about how so many members of the Cotton family had already died under similar circumstances in the past few months. As with any small town gossip mill, the rumors were flowing through West Auckland, which is a neighborhood in England's County Durham. It wasn't long before the authorities thought they should look into the rumors to see if there was any validity to them. They began an investigation into the 40-year-old woman's background. The more they dug into her past, the more it seemed as if Marianne's life was the plot of a classic horror novel. Her childhood bordered on poverty and abuse as she fled her home at a young age to get away from her mean stepfather she, by getting married at a young age. Then there was a long line of deaths in her family. Individuals who had died by succumbing to one mysterious illness or another. Now, let's talk about how she grew up. Marion Cotton was born Marion Robson in October 1832. Her family lived in a small English village called Low Morsley. There is no doubt that her childhood was an unhappy one. In fact, the lives of most children, unfortunate enough to be born into a lower class family in England during the early 19th century, weren't considered happy by any means. When Marianne's parents got married, they were both under 20 years old. Her father worked as a miner in East Rainton, yet despite his long hours of backbreaking work, he struggled to earn enough money to put food on the family table. Those who remember the little girl as she grew up talked about how pretty she was as a child. in fact, they say it was her beauty as a young woman that attracted the attention of several men. Now, I'm wondering if it was before that first picture. However, the only photograph, um, well, they say the only photograph of her taken was sometime after she was arrested. But I did find that first one. And it depicts a rather homely looking woman who can only be described as plain. Marianne's father could have easily been described as a religious fanatic and harsh disciplinarian. He was very active in the local Methodist church as a member of the choir and leader of several activity groups. Marianne and her younger brother, Robert, had an intense fear of him and the punishments he doled out. Now, when Marianne was eight years old, her she was eight years old when her family moved to Merton. Her father continued his work as a miner until the day tragedy struck the family. Approximately one year after moving to Merton, her father went to work one day and actually accidentally fell down the mine shaft to his death. Now, life was already rather harsh for members of the lower class in England during the 19th century. However, they were even worse if there was no man in the family who was able to work and provide food for everyone.
0: right. I don't need no man. Oh, yeah, you do, bitch.
1: Yeah, Mary Ann actually had a fear of being shipped off to a workhouse or, worse yet, being separated from her little brother and her mother. In fact, she would often have nightmares where that fear was realized. Thankfully, that never happened because her mother was able to remarry rather quickly. Mary Ann's new stepfather, though, didn't hide the fact that he did not like that little girl. However, she wasn't too fond of him either. Not long after he became part of the picture, she started looking for a way out of her childhood home. The only thing she could find later to thank the unkind man for was the fact that he saved her family from being penniless and losing their home.
0: And her daddy issues.
1: Yeah. Well, he did teach Marianne one other lesson at an early age.
0: Oh, did I nail it?
1: No. If she wanted to avoid her nightmares from becoming a reality, she had to find a way to keep the money flowing in. It didn't matter how she acquired the money, just that she did. Right?
0: Lips and hips.
1: Shut up. Now, Marianne was 16 years old when she left home. Many speculated that it was so she could get away from the unkind treatment of her stepfather. And she moved into a somewhat affluent household in South Heaton to work as a servant. Even so, the quality of work she was given to perform was nothing to complain about. Not long after she started working as a servant girl... The local gossips were telling salacious tales of her alleged clandestine meetings with a man from the local church. Thus began what would later become a life filled with one sex scandal after another. Now, she remained as a servant in the house for approximately three years before she left to become a dressmaker's apprentice. A short time after she began her training, she married William Mowbray, a local miner. The couple married in July of 1852, and it wasn't much later when she discovered she was pregnant. Even though Miriam was expecting, she and William moved often because of his job. He went to where the mining sites took him. When he couldn't find work in the mines, he worked on various construction projects along the railroad. So at least he was a hard worker to try to support his family, right?
0: I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. We don't even know if he was really working, though. Maybe he was just standing there as a supervisor.
1: You know, construction nowadays, I believe it.
0: He's probably working for Caltrans or ODOT.
1: <laughs> Asplund,
0: <laughs> Yeah, Asplin. <laughs> so going, okay, we got one guy working on the railroad, and there's 15 supervisors. That's a good day. That's just good standing
1: day. around the manhole. <laughs> That's just not what I meant. <laughs> you know what?
0: That's a different okay. podcast altogether.
1: You know what? There are times, and we've talked about this before <laughs> recently, in fact, that as the words are coming out of my mouth to you, I realize I probably shouldn't be saying this.
0: Can I stand around your manhole, sir?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, go away. I don't like doing that way.
1: So, William and Marianne would have five children in the first four years after they married.
0: Well, at least ha- she puts out.
1: Yeah. However, only one of them survived. The other four either died when they were still an infant or not long after.
0: Damn, some people have all the luck.
1: I know. Even with the high child mortality rates during that time, that many deaths in one family was still quite extreme, to say the least. At the time, nobody really gave it a second thought. In fact, many just assumed that Marianne and William were just unlucky in the parenting arena. They sympathized with the parents that were suffering from such painful personal losses. The couple also didn't have what others could call a happy marriage. When Mary Ann's unhealthy obsession about never being with her unhealthy obsession about never being poor, they were constantly bickering back and forth about money. Or perhaps she was bickering about what she considered their lack of money. The arguing became so bad at one point that William took a job on a steamer to get away from her. While That's he- amazing.
0: I took a steamer this morning. <sighs> several just trying to help (laughs)
1: while he was working on the steamship newburn which was out of the sunderland area he was frequently gone for several days at a time despite that marianne and their one surviving child found their one black friend yeah to live in sunderland so that they could be close when he was on shore despite that fact they were having frequent, despite the fact they were having frequent quarrels, they must have spent quite a bit of time also making up because Marianne kept having babies. Babies that they lost to one illness or another while they were still very young. And in fact, if that were to occur in today's age, people would most definitely become alarmed with the issue. Now, <clears throat> sometime in January 19, uh, 1865, William arrived home early because he had sustained an injury to his foot. Marianne was more than willing to help nurse him during his recovery. Even though he was also being seen by a doctor during that time, he suddenly died from some sort of intestinal problem and issued that he had not shown any signs of prior to Marianne taking over his care. Now a little while after Marianne after William died, his doctor went over to the house to visit with Marianne because she seemed so distraught over losing her husband he was compelled to offer her some consolement imagine his surprise when he arrived to find her dancing around the small room of the house. She seemed to be thrilled with the new dress she was able to purchase with the life insurance benefit her husband had left her.
0: God damn, there you go.
1: Yeah. And then shortly after her husband died and she collected on his life insurance, Marianne took her two remaining children and moved to Seaham Harbor. While she was there, she began a relationship with a man named Joseph Natrasse. However, he was already engaged with another woman at the time.
0: Yeah, but she didn't put out like uh, like, Mary like Marianne. Yeah, Marianne yeah. did. That's, I, I see where that's going.
1: Yeah. Marianne did everything she could think of to break up Joseph's other relationship. However, when she didn't succeed and he followed through at the wedding, she decided to leave town. Well, she left town after she buried her three and a half year old daughter. That left her with only one child out of the nine she gave birth to that survived. Wait a
0: minute. Was the kid alive or dead when she buried her?
1: I'm assuming dead. I'm just
0: asking. I'm, I don't, you never know. No, like seriously, we never. If I,
1: This is true. So, we don't.
0: We cover so many sick motherfuckers that seriously, I can never. If you say they buried a child, people will assume oh, it must be dead. I don't anymore. I go, um, before or after the kid was dead.
1: <laughs> right. No, I mean, I agree with you on that one. So this is also not the last we will hear of Joseph either. Stay tuned. When Mary Ann and her daughter Isabella left Seaham Harbor, they returned to Sunderland where she found a job working at... Now we talked about this. Got a minute? (laughs) The Sunderland Infirmary House of Recovery for the Cure of Contagious Fever Dispensary and Humane Society.
0: Car shop, lube, hairstylist, <laughs> rowboat maker, and delicatessen. <laughs>
1: That's right. So, when Marianne and her... Oh, wait. While Marianne was working, young Isabella was sent over to her maternal grandmother's to live. She remained there for over two years, which, in all honesty, was probably the best thing for her, considering what happened to her other siblings. Now, Marianne's job duties at Sunderland and included cleaning the wards. She did this by using a mixture of arsenic and soap. Now, I found out that through a little bit of research that arsenic was so common back then. Hold
0: on. Did you say suet or soap? Soap. Soap. Gotcha. That's not what I heard at all.
1: Do you need a Q-tip? For your one good ear? Oh, my
0: God. I swear to God, I'm going to kick you right in the cooter. (laughs) I'll put the freaking headphones on so I can actually hear what the freak you're saying. Over there mumbling and shit.
1: Anywho, so arsenic was actually a very common thing back then. It was found in, like, dye for wallpapers. It was found in toys. It was found um, in In baby carriages. I mean, like, you know, like lead paint in our 70s? Right, right. It was like, that was arsenic back then. Now, um, the other staff members truly admired her because she went about her duties with extreme diligence. Not to mention, she was always friendly with the patients. She often took the time to chat with several of the patients Uh, throughout the day. She was
0: really friendly. We already established that with the fucking 30 kids she had.
1: Well, one patient in particular took a shine to Marianne. He was a local engineer named George Ward. The two were frequently seen chatting with each other while Marianne worked. He <laughs> developed deep feelings for the woman, and not long after he was discharged from the facility, they got married.
0: There's a shocker.
1: Yeah, the wedding was held in August of 1865 at a
0: local church in Well I'm sorry, in what?
1: Monkwearmouth.
0: Jesus fucking Christ. It's always something with these jacked up freaking names as of late. I don't know what's up with Especially in
1: England, right? I don't know what's
0: up with the researchers, man. It's always a hey. Well, this one
1: was mine, so. Oh, that,
0: that's even worse, man, because I'm finding one of two things happening. Either they go, okay, let's find the most messed up names that nobody in the world can pronounce unless you're from this little tiny country. Or let's find things like they were hanging around the manhole. <laughs>
1: in the bone room.
0: <laughs> then she went to the bone room, because let's play that on Scott, because that's going to go over like a lead turd with his fucking brain. No, no, I'm, I'm picking up what you guys... You guys are all just trying to seriously drive me absolutely fucking insane. We are. Jesus so, Christ.
1: Even after Marianne and her husband got settled into their new house, she never sent for Isabella to be returned to her from her mother's. Even though George was discharged from the infirmary with a clean bill of health, after he and Marianne were married, he again took ill. Um, the doctors gave him several different treatments in an effort to make him better. However, he wound up dying on October of 1866. I put 1966. I got changed that. Um, after developing paralysis in his limbs and dealing with chronic stomach issues, now after George died, the doctor who was seeing him was falsely accused of treating him incorrectly. When Mary Ann heard about the allegations, she actively participated in the ridicule as well. Most likely because if the finger of responsibility was pointed at someone else, then it wouldn't be aimed at her, right? You would assume. Yeah. But so You never
0: know. You never know. Yeah,
1: well, sometime later during Mary Ann's trial, people speculated about how nobody ever got suspicious of her and the lengthy trail of dead husbands and children in her wake especially since they all seemed to die from similar illnesses over a very short span of time. Perhaps it was because Miriam was smart enough to have a different doctor attending the members of her family as they became ill and died. Well, that and the fact that she was constantly moving from one city to the next, which meant that she wasn't in any one place long enough to cause suspicion among other members of the community. Now that Marianne's second husband was dead, she had to stick to her pattern. It was time to move on to another place and another man.
0: Of course, I do the same thing. I move between men all the time.
1: I know you do. When I'm
0: standing around the manhole.
1: I know you do. <laughs> so a shipwright or shipbuilder in Palion named James Robertson advertised his need for a housekeeper. His wife Hannah had recently passed away and he needed someone to take care of the house and children while he worked. Marianne saw the ad in November of 1866. She promptly applied for the position and was hired by James. A couple of weeks later, two days before Christmas that year to be exact, James' young baby was buried. He had developed a case of gastric fever, of all things. Go figure.
0: I got gastric fever. You got gastric fever. <laughs> right.
1: I got gastric fever. Anywho. So, James was so distraught over the recent loss of his young wife, and now his infant son, that he turned to Marianne for comfort. Marianne was all too willing to provide James with the solace he sought, and then some, apparently. Because it wasn't long before she discovered that she was carrying his child. It seemed as if Marianne would be getting married again. Especially now that she was pregnant. However, not as soon as she probably hoped. Um, It's like, you know... She's a fertile fucking myrtle. That's all I'm saying. Now, in March of 1867, Marianne's mother took ill suddenly, and, she had to return to, and Marianne had to return to her mother's house in order to care for the elderly woman. As soon as she arrived, she set about cleaning every square inch of the house, from top to bottom, using her trusty cleaning solution of soap and arsenic. After all, she always seemed to have a sub- steady supply of it as her secret ingredient. By the time Marianne arrived at her mother's, The woman was feeling a little bit better. However, to be sure, Marianne chose to remain there for a little while to care for the house. Anyhow, after all, she wanted to make sure that her mother was truly well before she left. Oh, and she also wanted to visit her daughter, Isabella, you know, as a side note.
0: We like visiting the children.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So within a couple of days of Marianne taking care of her mother, the elderly woman started saying she was having horrible stomach pains. Young Marianne wasn't even there for 10 days before her mother wound up dying. There was nothing left for her to do at the house, so she took Isabella and returned to James's. Now, when young Isabella returned to James' with her mother... She was healthy and thriving. However, it wasn't long before she started experiencing debilitating stomach pains. In fact, so did two of James's other children. Before the end of April of 1867, all three were dead and buried within two weeks of one another.
0: Damn, she works quick, man. Yeah. I wonder if she would come work for me if she was still alive. (laughs) Because that's a quick fucking, not for the killing part, but I can set her on tasks and shit.
1: No shit. So, although James was grieving over the loss of his two children, he never suspected Marianne was the one causing the problems. In fact, approximately three months later, in early August, they were married. At the time, Marianne claimed that her surname was Malbury. Almost as if her marriage to George Ward, which lasted a little over a year, was all but forgotten. Now, James and Marianne welcomed their first child, Mary Isabella, at the end <laughs> of November. Just over three months later, by March First, 1868 little mary became ill and died as well it was about that time that james became suspicious oh wait wait no that's right um of mary ann there were three things that about her that he questioned number one
0: are those f- your real boobs <laughs>
1: The freak- <laughs> yes, they are. Thank you.
0: Not you, I'm Mary Ann's.
1: Oh, the frequent deaths that occurred in his household after she arrived, her continuous requests for more and more money, and her constant pressure on him to purchase a life insurance policy. Now, Jim- That's not suspicious at all. <laughs> at all.
0: They just want to let you know you might want to well. purchase a life insurance policy. You should have a life It's for us, honey. Really? Hmm. Let's connect some dots here. Yeah. When when, when 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 your ex-husbands died, they had life insurance policies, didn't they? Oh, well, yeah. How about your children? Coincidentally, yes, it paid for burial. Huh, I'm connecting the dots. I have a feeling like... Remember that one chick that we did that she killed her husband? Uh, her With co- the
1: double indemnity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that was uh, Belle Gunness.
0: I think you're right, where, mm-hmm. where the, the, the two life insurance policies happened to overlap for on the one, day he died the one day that he yeah. died. <laughs> hmm.
1: mm.
0: <laughs> It makes you wonder I'm, you know I'm sure it's just a big coincidence yes
1: there's no such thing so James had always made sure that his bills were paid and on time imagine his dismay when he started to receive letters from his brother-in-law in the building society he belonged to with details about debts that Mary Han and had accrued without his permission or knowledge. He drew his surviving children off to the side and asked them questions about their new stepmother. During James' conversation with his children, he learned that Marianne had convinced them to take valuable items from the house to the pawn store. Then once they had the money, she made them hand it over to her. James was so infuriated by this that he tossed Marianne out the door. She left and took their youngest daughter with her.
0: Get away from my manhole
1: right now it was late 1869 and mary (laughs) there was no getting around that one
0: no no there wasn't and mary Ann was
1: (laughs) left wondering about the street wandering about the streets living a life she had always feared
0: and how much she could charge with the 69 yeah
1: she was alone and destitute with a child in tow That's when she decided to go visit an acquaintance of hers. At some point during their visit, she asked the other woman to keep an eye on her daughter while she ran to the post office to mail a letter. Only she never returned to collect her child. And on New Year's Day, 1870, the girl was returned to James. Now, after James kicked Marianne out of... Out and she abandoned their daughter with an acquaintance, she spent a couple of weeks desperately trying to make a living in the streets. However, around the same time as the new year dawned, her life took a turn for the better. Mary Ann's friend, Margaret Cotton, decided to introduce Mary Ann to her brother, Frederick. He had recently lost his wife and two of his four children to sudden illness. All he had left was his two sons, Frederick, Jr., and Charles, and his sister, Margaret, who had stepped in as a substitute mother when his wife died. To the children, not not a wife to him. However, Margaret died suddenly at the end of March from an unspecified stomach problem. I
0: bet you it's a gastro issue. Yeah, gastric fever. Yeah, I, 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 I'm just spitballing and guessing. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a pattern. So...
1: Margaret's sudden death left the door wide open for Marianne to swoop in and offer her condolences to Frederick in his grief. Apparently, he accepted her offer because she once again found herself pregnant with the man's child a short time later. (laughs) It was almost exactly what had happened when she consoled James in his time of need. Now, when Frenica Marianne got married in September of 1870, she again stated that her name was Marianne Mowbray. Now, she completely ignored the fact that her legal name was Marianne Robinson, not to mention that she and James were still very much married because he was still completely alive. Now, Mary hadn't just committed multiple murders. She had also committed bigamy, which was very much illegal at that time.
0: Unless you're a Mormon.
1: Yeah. So... Before the ink dried on her marriage certificate, Marianne had made her presence known in the Cotton House. Almost just as quickly, she made sure that her new husband and his two remaining sons had life insurance policies. She gave birth to her son, Robert, sometime in early 1971. Not long after little Robert was born, Marianne found out that Joseph Natris was no longer married and residing in West Auckland, a nearby town.
0: Hey, sexy man. Do you remember me? (laughs) Yeah. She
1: managed to do some maneuvering and convinced her new husband they should relocate the family there. Almost as soon as they settled into their new house, she lost interest in her husband, Frederick, and rekindled her relationship with Joseph. In December of that year, Frederick died from gastric fever. Joseph barely waited until her husband was buried before he moved into her house as a lodger. Now that she was once again widowed. She had to find a way to bring in an income. Right? She became a personal nurse. For a guy by the name of John Quick Manning. Hyphenated. Um, he was an excise officer. Who was recovering from a bout of smallpox. Apparently. After Marianne began taking care of John. She realized he was a much better match. For her than Joseph. Probably because he had more money. Now. Well, at least it seemed as if she felt that way, being she became pregnant by him. Now, even though she was pregnant with John's baby, there was an obstacle in the way of, her, of their marriage. The two surviving members of the Cotton family. Now, Marion quickly got out of business, removing those in her life that were in her way. In March of 1872, Frederick Jr. became ill and succumbed to gastric fever. His death was soon followed by that of her infant, Robert. Now, when Robert died, Marianne told people that she didn't want to bury him right away, as was the custom at that time, you know, because of the plague and shit. She didn't want to bury him at that time. After all, Joseph had also taken ill with gastric fever. So she just wanted to wait until he died and bury them both at the same time. Apparently, Marianne wasn't anything if she wasn't efficient. As predicted, Joseph died a few days later. However, before he passed away, he managed to have his will rewritten to make Marianne his sole beneficiary.
0: Eh, she's being framed.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was framed. Framed, framed, framed. Now, I want to take a moment to have a quick recap. Marianne Robson was married to four different men. Only one of them managed to walk away from his relationship with her alive.
0: You want to know why?
1: James, why?
0: Because there can only be one Highlander. <laughs>
1: So all of the others, as well as her own children and the majority of her stepchildren, all wound up with gastric fever or some other stomach problem that resulted in their death. Wait, let me take that back. All of them were dead, save for the surviving children of James Robinson, Robinson, excuse me, and young Charles Cotton. Now, that's what happens when you type too fast. Since Marianne no longer, other has-
0: things happen when I use my fingers too fast.
1: Yeah, since Mary Ann no longer had contact with the Robinson children, they were safe. However, there was still an insurance policy active on Charles's life, a policy that Mary Ann was still wanting to collect on. Sometime in late spring of 1872, Mary Ann asked little Charles to run down to the local chemist shop to buy a small bottle of arsenic. She wanted him to buy the arsenic.
0: Of course, man. Yeah, you have to delicate shit. Okay, okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay? Okay. So, I'm the boss of Twisted Blue LLC, right? Well, I can't handle everything, so what do I do? I delegate. We have researchers. We have people who are gophers. We have people who do different things, right? Yes. Delegate. I can't do it. I see where she's going. I totally... I, Marianne, I get it, honey. You know, Don't listen to this twat who's talking to you right now. <laughs> I, I get it. I get yeah. it, Yeah.
1: But sending a child to get his own murder weapon little bit bizarre, don't you think? Oh,
0: please, man. He's old enough to go to the store. She's got shit to do. Dude, she's having kids left and right. She's sucking dick. She's got things to do, man. (laughs) Apparently,
1: she's doing more than that.
0: Well, of course, because I haven't heard anybody getting pregnant in their throat. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) So,
1: however, the law prohibited anybody under the age of 21 from legally purchasing the substance. So, the chemist refused the boy's request. Not to be deterred, Mary Ann decided to have one of her neighbors make the purchase instead. That July... Charles died from gastric fever. Now, Marianne had either been living in West Auckland for too long or the locals were already a skeptical bunch. Because not long after Charles was buried, the rumor mill was at full tilt with tales from suspicious neighbors and medical personnel in the area. Now, before Charles died, Marianne had a conversation with a minor government official named Thomas Riley about placing the child in a workhouse. Thomas told Marianne the placement would only be possible if she were to accompany the child. Now, you and I both know that was never going to happen. Right?
0: <laughs> no, that's not going to yeah. fucking happen.
1: At the time, Marianne told Thomas <clears throat> that Charles was in the way of her marriage with John. When she was told he w- she, she couldn't place him in a workhouse, she boldly predicted, I won't be troubled long. He'll go like the rest of the Cotton family. Thomas wasn't sure what to think about what she had said, considering the child appeared to be rather healthy to him.
0: I wonder if she was sitting there singing to herself, living in... Uh, you know
1: what? I've been waiting for you to do that this whole time. I've
0: been trying not to do it. I've been holding and holding. You just don't make the joke, dude. Don't make the joke. That's a, it's a pun and it's horrible and it's don't do that. And I just I, I couldn't. It, it's kind of like trying to hold in a fart during sex. There's only so long you can hold that, you know. And you, you just hope you don't shit on yourself
1: or <laughs> up the wall. <laughs>
0: Oh, we're going to bring that story up. (laughs) Hey,
1: I didn't bring it up. I just mentioned something. I will
0: tell that story on the air.
1: (laughs) It's all good.
0: Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Let me gather. This is a special episode here. (laughs) Gather around, folks. Gather around, kids. It's story time with Scotty. I'm your host, Big Scotty Alexander. So I was married to ex-wife number two. and We had a really nice uh, place in like Oswego, Oregon, and a really upper end place. And uh, she was in the bathroom at the sink. And uh, I go in there, and I'm buck-ass naked. And um, and I go, hey, you know, you almost done in here. There's two sinks. And I thought it'd be funny to stand next to her and pass gas. Turned out. You misjudged? I was very wrong about the contents of my bowels.
1: <laughs> it was an air.
0: It was not air. It was it uh, uh, damn near ruined the walls,
1: <laughs>
0: and she's gagging, and I have to sit there and clean it all up. So I'm gagging. It was yeah. it was gnarly. So it
1: was gnarly. <laughs> I
0: think it was like in my mid twenties when that happened.
1: Yeah, well, times. times have not changed. <laughs> I
0: have not crapped anywhere outside of the bathroom. Like
1: no, no but gosh. you're constantly on the shitter. I have pictures to prove it. Here is of
0: late, man, what the hell's wrong with me? I'm all fucked up.
1: Do you have gastric fever?
0: Maybe I think Marianne got to me too. She's like, oh. oh, wait.
1: You know what? It's been occurring since I've been staying on your couch.
0: I'm seeing a fucking connection now. <laughs> God damn it! I knew either you or my son were going to kill me. Yeah. The dog even looks fucking shady right now.
1: Yeah, she does. Over there, asleep.
0: <laughs> so
1: therefore, when Marianne went back to Thomas only five days later to tell him that she, that the child had died, he was completely shocked. In fact, he was so surprised by Charles's death that he took his concerns to the local police office and a doctor. And as it is, the doctor was alarmed by news that the boy had died as well. His amazement came from the fact that he and his trusted assistant had both seen Charles a total of five times the week before. Not once during any of those visits did they suspect the child was ill in any way, let alone dire enough to die in such a short time. Thomas managed to convince the doctor to hold off on filling out Charles' death certificate until he could do a little more investigation on the situation. It didn't help Marianne's case when it was apparent that her priorities were a bit askew. You see, rather than send for a doctor when Charles died, she made a beeline For the insurance office to cash in on his life insurance policy.
0: I never saw that coming.
1: Yeah, they told her that if she didn't provide them with a signed death certificate, they wouldn't issue her a payout. Now, when Marianne left the insurance office, she went back to the house and called for a doctor to come over so they could issue the death certificate. However, she quickly learned that he wouldn't provide her with the signed document until after a formal investigation was complete. There was a brief inquest into Charles's death, and the initial evidence showed no indication that he had died from, quote, unnatural causes. So Marianne was so upset with Thomas for calling attention to the matter that she told him he was responsible for the cost of the boy's funeral. Yeah. So considering Marianne was cleared after the initial inquest into Charles's untimely death, his burial might very well not have been the end of Marianne's story especially since she would go about her merry way and get married to John and continue to support herself from the life insurance payouts from her gastric fever victims. However, that wouldn't be the case since the local media had gotten wind of it. They quickly released articles about the inquest, which were dripping with the local gossip that Mary Ann was responsible for poisoning everyone who crossed her path. The news reports just added fuel to the fire when it came to the local rumor mill and filling and the feelings of bitterness the citizens of West Auckland had toward Marianne. When John heard the gossip, talking about the woman he was intending to marry in such a negative light, he became appalled, not by the rumor mill, but by Marianne herself. In fact, he was so troubled by what was being said about his lover that he decided to cut all ties with the woman forever. In all honesty, he should probably be thanking everyone for, for saving his life, right? Now... After John ended his relationship with Marianne, she began to make plans to move on and leave the area. However, all of her friends at the time told her that if she left at that moment, it would be under a huge cloud of suspicion. She wasn't aware that there was already a great deal of suspicion growing and her world was about ready to come crashing down around her one of the doctors involved with the inquest into Charles' death had the forethought to retain a sample of the boy's stomach contents. He held on to them so that he could run tests on them at his lab later. The first chance he had, he conducted the test, which determined the samples were positive for the presence of arsenic. The doctor took that information to the authorities who quickly went and arrested Marianne for murder. When they had Charles's body exhumed so that it can be completely tested, the authorities also ordered for the body of Joseph Natchez to be exhumed as well. However, with Joseph, the elderly sexton of the local church couldn't remember where his remains were. So six other corpses were dug up in the cemetery before they found his body. You know, because those old priests.
0: I wasn't going to make a joke.
1: (laughs) I had to.
0: I'm just saying that. There's a there's a correlation between Catholic priests and uh, missing bodies, missing bodies and boys being raped. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, maybe it's just a coincidence.
1: You know, the Vatican with the missing bodies, I see that.
0: Oh, totally, man. They're, yeah, they're all crooked as shit. Damn, <laughs> of files so, uh, sitting there raping goddamn kids all the freaking time, and they're
1: just shipped off to a different location. Oh, Yeah, Oh, yeah. Hmm. Although, a little side note. My ex-boyfriend's uh, fa- stepfather worked as uh, head of HR for the Portland public school system. And, you know, every all the teachers are unionized. And because of that, every time there was suspicion over, uh, uh, mis- you know, inappropriate behavior among teachers, he didn't have the right to fire them. He just had to replace, you know transfer him to another school that's
0: bullshit man i think i that know if somebody molests your kid and you can prove it i think that because it's happened in texas once or twice when people got to walk from it i think you should be able to go over to the house and fucking shoot them. yeah that's just me and if you're a child molester yourself uh, i don't care if we lose a listener over you fuck off
1: <laughs> no shit yo
0: quit touching fucking kids
1: that's right or quit listening to us we don't care yeah, either, <laughs> either I don't. one So, the doctor took that information... Oh, I already said that. Um, After tests were run on both sets of remains, the authorities learned that both had high amounts of arsenic in the body tissue. In fact, there was quite a bit of debate at the time as to whether or not more bodies should be exhumed. However, in the end, the authorities chose not to do that. Instead, they just proceeded with charging Marianne with one count of murder, the death of seven-year-old Charles Cotton. Now, we're going to get into the green wallpaper trial. Yeah, Marianne's trial started in March of 1873 after being delayed so she could give birth to the daughter she conceived with John. The prosecution called several witnesses to the stand to give their testimonies. Those witnesses talked about Marianne's many purchases of vast amounts of arsenic over the years, the long list of people in her life who suddenly died from gastric fever, Oh, and let's not forget the testimony of Marianne telling people that Charles was in the way of her getting married.
0: Yeah, he was. Get the fuck out of the way, Chuck.
1: However, Marianne's attorneys tried a unique line of defense, one I have never heard of. They attempted to claim that Charles had gotten arsenic in his system from, quote, inhaling loose airborne particles of arsenic that was used as a dye in the green wallpaper. Hey, that tracks. Yeah, that lined the walls in the cotton house. The judge, on the other hand, wasn't buying their theory. And apparently the jury didn't either, as they only deliberated for one and a half hours before returning with a guilty verdict. And the judge ordered her execution. Still not the four and a half minutes. You know. Yeah. Now, Marion continued, which, you know, I'm shocked because this is England. You'd think. I mean, Amelia Dyer was found guilty in four and a half minutes.
0: Yeah. No, that's true. I was hoping that they would have expedited it. But you
1: No. Now, Marianne continued to maintain her innocence. In fact, she wrote a plethora of letters to his supporters as well as friends who remained by her side. She even sent one letter to her still husband, James Robinson, requesting that he visit her with her daughter and the two, su- two surviving children in the letter she proceeded to beg James. quote, "If you have one spark of kindness in you, get my life spared." You know yourself, there has been most dreadful lies about me. I must tell you, you are the cause of all my trouble. If you had not abandoned me, I was left to wander the streets with my baby in my arms. No place to lay my head. So, hey, come visit me, but it's your fault I'm here.
0: Okay, look, I was wandering around the streets with my baby in my arms. Okay, it was a dead hooker, but I digress. Um, And nobody helped me.
1: You are not Carol Cole. <laughs>
0: With a flashing neon sign saying, eh? "That's right." You see this dead hooker? She died of natural causes. Uh, she's got thirty-five stab wounds. Wow, that's and, a hell of a And fault. she's
1: wrapped in a blanket. I don't she's, get
0: it. She did that to herself. We know that she did that.
1: Yeah. So when James received the letter, he ignored it. Not to be deterred, she wrote him another letter and again asked for him to come to the prison and visit her. Instead, he sent his brother-in-law. Even though Marianne was upset that her husband did not come as she had requested, she didn't let that stop her from asking the man how the children were doing. Oh, and she asked him to start a petition in her support. He did not oblige her request to circulate a petition. However, someone did. In fact, several were created and were signed by ministers, her former employers, and others who supported her. As the day of her execution drew closer... She received a letter from the young couple who had adopted the baby girl she gave birth to while in custody. She wrote a response to that letter in which she stated, kiss my babe for me. Um, no. (laughs) Well,
0: which one? The living or the dead ones?
1: Right? (laughs) Well, and somebody made the comment. I mean, I read later that 10 out of her 11 children died, but she had 12. Two survived. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So on March 24th, 1873, Marianne Cotton was led to the gallows. Oh, you're going to fucking love this one. By an elderly hangman. In fact, it was him that made a misjudgment when it came to the logistics of her execution. Normally, when a trapdoor is released on someone who was being hanged, they die quickly, you know, because their neck snaps. Yeah. Not in this case. When the trapdoor opened uh, under Marianne, she struggled for approximately three minutes before she slowly and painfully died from strangulation. Nice. Yeah. So granted, there is a possibility the couple of Marianne's supposed victims weren't murdered by her. In other words, perhaps they did truly die from natural causes. However, researchers and historians are still debating how many victims the woman actually killed. The final tally ranges anywhere from a minimum of 15 to a maximum of 21, which happened to be everyone who died that was associated with her.
0: She's got a good and, body count, man. I like her I a lot. Know.
1: So, if Mary Ann was responsible for the deaths of all 21 individuals, this is who they would be. Between 1852 and 1856, four unnamed children. No birth, baptism, death, or burial records have ever been found on them. You know, so, she's just claiming that they had four children, and her husband agreed with her at the time. So, there's no no reason to doubt it. Now, in June of 1860, Margaret Jane Mowbray was five years old when she died. Actually, she was... No, she was five. Now, in September, yeah. No, she was 3, my bad.
0: Yeah, talking to the goddamn mic.
1: I'm sorry. She was 3. I had to look down. <laughs> At uh, what? The paper. The the, I had the real information on.
0: Oh, oh! so you have fake information on the shared server that I we mis- all use. I just typed
1: the three and put a oh, five. No no, 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 no.
0: I see what happens. You're, you're putting fake information into the shared drive. News. Fake news. And that, and then you're like, but I have the real information right here because now I'm CSI Squatch. All right. No, no. I'm, Don't piss me off. Fucking picking up what you're laying down there, big mom.
1: So then in September of 1864, John Robert William Mowbray died. He was one. Then in January of 1865, William Mowbray, her husband, aged 39. Then April of 1865, Mary Jane Mowbray, who was named after her deceased older sister, died at age 3. Coincidence?
0: Nah, yeah, she's dead. This is all coincidence. It's a good
1: Yeah. In October of 1866, her husband George Ward died at age 33. Then um, December of 1866, John Robinson, aged 10 months, March of 1867 Margaret Stott her mother was 54 then April of 1867 we have James Robinson Jr who was 6 Elizabeth Robinson who was 8 and Elizabeth Jane Mowbray, who was 9 then in March of 1868 notice how a lot of them are in March and April yeah man
0: hey that's a killing that that's her alleged killing time
1: yeah so that was Mary Isabella Robinson she was 3 then, in 18, March of 1870, Margaret Cotton, her then-future sister-in-law and friend, who was 38. Then, December of 1871, Frederick Cotton Sr., her husband, age 42. Then, in March of 1872, two deaths, Frederick Cotton Jr., age 10, and Robert Robson Cotton, age 14 months and then April of 1872, Joseph Natchos, her former lover, age 35. And then finally, July of 1872, Charles Edward Cotton, age 7. Now, when historians and researchers debate what potentially motivated Marianne to poison everyone around her... God, that's why I typed this in a hurry, Can you tell?
0: Um, I just figured that you had a brain aneurysm or something. Maybe
1: I do. They figure it could be...
0: Were your lips lips all ashy? They were.
1: Now, her motivation could have been a way to earn money by collecting insurance benefit payouts. (coughs) Or it could have been eliminating those she felt were, quote, obstacles standing in the way of what she desired at the time. Or perhaps it's all of the above. Um, Now, her notoriety lives on. Up until Marianne swung from the gallows, she maintained that she was innocent. Therefore, there's no possible way to know exactly how many people she murdered. Even so, her notoriety lives on since she is considered to be the first female serial killer in Great Britain in recorded history. Oh, and there's also the rhyme recited by children in her honor. It goes, Marianne Cotton, she's dead and she's rotten. She lies in her bed with her eyes wide open. Sing, sing. Sing. Oh, what can I sing? Marianne Cotton is tied up with a string. Where, where? Up in the air, selling black puddings, a penny a pair. Now, I asked you this earlier. Where do kids come up with this shit?
0: I don't know. Probably the same place where I come up with my fucked up jokes and I laugh at them because it's the first time I've heard that shit, too.
1: (laughs) I know, right? But it's like, damn, kids. You know? (laughs) But then we're going to cover one next week that has to do with the Muffin Man, so...
0: Yeah, I can't wait for that one. Do yeah. You? By the way, boys and girls out there, do you know the Muffin Man from down on Drury Lane? Yes. Stay tuned for next week because we're going to be talking about the real Muffin Man.
1: Muffin Man. Okay, so that's all I have on Marianne. That's it. That's it. That's
0: lame. Lame.
1: 21 people.
0: Yeah, but number one, you should, I, I saw her picture first, so I couldn't get this hot chick in my... Here's my Okay, here, here's my problem with it. You ready for this? I am. I can understand if she was, like, super hot. You know, if you're looking at her going, oh, man,
1: I'm going to bang the fuck out of that. Yeah. I I've s- never had that feeling, but okay. Liar.
0: <laughs> I see the way that you look at some of our staff.
1: Shut up. N- uh Reba.
0: <laughs> Lady like, Gaga. You're like, I would put my head between her fucking milk jugs of love <laughs> in a heartbeat.
1: Dude, my, fem- my woman crushes are Lady Gaga and Reba McIntyre.
0: My lady crush is Tupac.
1: That's your man crush. No. <laughs>
0: just kidding. Anybody who wears a damn bandana I'm like
1: I'm And Snoop Dogg.
0: Now, Snoop Dogg, man, I seriously, I would smoke a lot of weed with him. No, but, me too. But yeah, I mean, seriously, if she was like, let's say that she looked like Drew Barrymore. Right. I'd be like, fuck, I understand how that works. However, she looks like she's been through a meat grinder and came out on the other side, not yeah. damaged, but just really. Fucking angry.
1: Angry, yeah.
0: Like she looks like somebody who would walk outside and go, The but goddamn you know- sun is out. the go- birds look at the sun and then it rains now it's raining. But I can't believe it's raining.
1: Have you ever seen the TV show uh Downton Abbey? Nope. Oh. Well, if you look at this picture of her, she kind of looks like one of the main characters.
0: Oh, okay. More than one person in England's pissed off. I mean which doesn't surprise me with their dental care and all. But um it's fucked. Up. I'm sorry, England. That was fucked up. No, I not. I apologize slightly.
1: Yeah. <coughs> so Yeah, and so I'm not even looking at this picture even though you can see if she didn't have that scowl, she might be beautiful.
0: No way, man. I wouldn't even throw her a fucking milk bone. Really? Yeah, damn. I wouldn't even want her as a pet dog. She is fucking terrifying. Ow.
1: Angel's going, thank goodness, because I'd have to eat her.
0: <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you
1: know, you know, she doesn't you,
0: even like peanut butter.
1: You know Angel doesn't like other dogs. <laughs>
0: she doesn't like peanut butter either. She's not going to eat her.
1: <laughs> How do you know she doesn't like peanut butter, Scott?
0: Well, there I was. minding <laughs> <not> in my <laughs> own, own business. Read my Bible. Read my Bible. <laughs> Holy shit. Let's wrap this okay. motherfucker up. Remember, boys and girls. You can send us an email at brutalnation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. dot com. Check us out on Medium V Medium and wherever you get your blog. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. dot com. There's always a link in there to our blog and the podcast and meet the band and me in a g string and nipple tassels. No,
1: I left those out.
0: My pierced belly button ring with Mickey Mouse on it.
1: That blinks. That blinks. The
0: arrow that points around the back says, welcome to the manhole. Anywho, that's not right. I need Jesus. That
1: is not right.
0: This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will see you guys for a freaky fetish Friday.
1: Spendy Big Daddy. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.